Thank you for checking out the HR Like a Boss podcast. If it resonates with you, please consider leaving a rating and review, and better yet, subscribe and share with a friend. I've embarked on a journey to get to know amazingly awesome HR and business professionals. These conversations create the foundation for my book on what it takes to do HR Like a Boss. On today's episode, I am joined by Cindy Torres SL. Cindy is the Chief Human Resource Officer at Heinen's, a local grocer that does amazing things in our community. She also has her bachelor's degree from Baldwin Wallace and got her JD from the University of Akron. Cindy, welcome to the show. Thank you, happy to be here. So I know uh, this has been a very unique and challenging year for you and your business and uh, a, lot, a lot of unique things happening within our world. And I, I know for those that don't know you, I'd love uh, beyond what I shared about your role and some of your educational background, a little bit more about yourself. So, so those, get to, those that are listening can get to know you a little bit better. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm come from pretty humble beginnings. Um, grew up in a pretty underprivileged background, a very diverse household. Um, first in my family to go to and graduate from college, um, let alone law school. And, um, you know, really kind of found my way into HR um, in between my undergraduate and law school degrees but then returned to it after doing a lot of labor and employment uh, law work. So um, HR has kind of always been in and around what I do, but I was able to more formalize that after the law degree. I think a big piece of, of thing for me, things for me as well is just giving back. Um, I like to serve on nonprofit boards. I've historically served on quite a few. I'm on a couple right now, and that's important to me. Um, I think, you know, coming from a background where maybe we utilize those resources as needed. I feel strongly about being able to participate in offering those to people who need them. So that's a big part of what I do when I'm not working. Um, and then aside from that, I have a 12, almost 13 year old son who plays a lot of baseball and uh, we do a lot of that. And uh, we do a lot of you know, local sports, Cleveland Indians, Cleveland Browns, um, Cavs, of course. So that's, that's really how I spend my time. How cool. Yeah, I have a son in a similar age bracket. So maybe for another time, we can dive into that a little bit further. And uh, maybe uh, my son's into soccer and anything uh, motorized, anything. Ah, motorized. Okay. A, lawn, a lawnmower, which is good for dad uh, and good. some of our neighbors, which he takes care of their yard, which is pretty cool. But that's right. Absolutely. Yeah, they I, are getting to that age where uh, they can do things for us instead of us just doing for them. It's not bad. It's nice, right? Yeah, it's nice. Can I go back just a little bit to, you said something that intrigued me and uh, kudos to you. And I, I appreciate that very much. My, my dad was the first one in his family to get a, a degree and I know how proud he was. And, and you know, his, his mom, who my grandma, who I'd never met his, his dad, but uh, she was always so proud of my, Mike getting his education. Mike was my dad's name. And I'm just curious as to what, what do you think from a f foundational standpoint for you as a business person, kind of persevering through through that and all that you learned as it, as it relates to, to, to being different in your family and, and, and gaining that education and what it did for you professionally and personally and within your family. I'm just really curious about that. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I will say that I, I grew up in a household where it was just sort of always assumed you'll go to college, right? That was just sort of part of what the dialogue was. Um, and so I think it was just something I knew was going to happen. I also think that I was very fortunate to have some great 
friends in my younger years whose families were, you know, in a different position than mine. And they clearly were going to college and you know, that was helpful in high school, right? I was doing a lot of what everybody else was doing. Um, but I will tell you probably what truly changed my life was that I found a, a musical instrument in, in school. So um, the public schools where I went had an orchestra program. And in fourth grade, you could sort of try out these instruments and pick one in fifth grade. And you had to do something. You had to either sing in the choir, play in the orchestra, or play in the band. And so I picked the cello. Um, and I can remember coming home and saying, I'm going to play, yeah, I'm going to play the cello. And um, my mom being like, you know, what the heck is a cello? I don't even know what that is, you know? And so um, I did that. I played the cello and it turns out I was pretty good at it. And so um, that's really how I got to college. Um, I entered Baldwin Wallace in the conservatory as a music performance major. Um, and that's truly what I think got me there. Now, once I got to college and spent some time, I figured out that that probably wasn't where I wanted to focus, you know, for a career. But I was fortunate to have found that and to have um, the same music teacher all eight years who was amazing. Truly, probably one of the few mentors I think I've ever had. Um, and, you know, she believed in me in a way that I didn't probably believe in myself, but also in a way that maybe others didn't either. And um, she just helped me get, get out the door, right? And get to school and so, or get to college. And so, that changed my life. You know, when I got to college and I, I saw this whole different world of what people were doing and how they lived and what it meant to be a professional and all of those things. And so um, that's really where things changed for me. Um, and I would say I, I started realizing more of what I wanted for myself and I wanted that to be different than what I had. I appreciate you sharing that. And can you still play the cello? Do you happen to have one in your house by <laughs> chance or is that, is that, uh, that for another show as well. Oh, cool. You do. Oh, nice. I do have my cello. I don't play, you know, professionally, right, with a group or anything. Although sometimes I wish I I did, but I will play for myself. Uh, my son plays the trombone and the drums, and I enjoy that. But you know, though he's not as into it as I was, I guess. But um, every once in a while, I'll play. It's it's relaxing. Um, so yeah, every now and then, maybe I don't know, a couple times a month, let's say, I'll pick it up and sit in the spare bedroom and play a little bit. You're challenging me as a host of the show here to transition from talking about a cello into HR, but uh, I, I, will I will find a way to do that because I'm not necessarily sure. Although I find that fascinating how you use that vehicle of, of an of a instrument. Uh, you may hear other stories of singing or sports that provides unique opportunities for kids uh, and yeah. their ability to, to create an identity for themselves and gain confidence where you, you mentioned your mentor, which yeah. I know I was fortunate to have have. Uh, one or two of those really core ones in, in my life, especially in foundational years that made such a big yeah. difference. In, in well, that. I can give you the transition if that's helpful. I can tell you that what happened to me was in college, I'm this music major, I'm taking a psych class, you know, like psychology 101. And I thought, wow, I really like this. So eventually transitioned my major to psychology and Baldwin Wallace at the time had an industrial organizational path. And that was really where I first learned about industrial organizational psychology and, you know, corporations and businesses having a psychology to them. And that's really where I learned about HR. Um, and so that's where I was first introduced to the field. 
And then after college, I worked at the University of Akron for a couple of years in uh, residence life. And I um, started figuring out like what's next, right? I knew I needed to do something. I was really trying to figure out what it was. And, and this was the mid nineties where the job market wasn't exactly you know, booming at the time. And so um, I started investigating different options and I just sort of kept coming back to HR. Um, and I really debated between HR and the law degree. Um, and I had a, a colleague who said to me, you know, you can always practice HR with a law degree, but you can never practice law with an HR degree. And if you're not sure that if you want to do labor and employment law or you want to do labor and employment work, you know, from an employer perspective, why wouldn't you just go get the law degree? And it was like, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So that's, that's how that whole transition happened. How cool. Yeah, no, mine was going to be corny, uh, which was a, an organization is like an orchestra and the cello was the HR, like cello, yeah. cello is the HR. You got it. You got it. It's, it's such an important part. We'll but, go with uh, that. Yeah, there you go. So, <laughs> so speaking of that, having you know, gone through your, your maturation in your career and obviously getting your, your law degree and, and, and working in, in the various factors or, or, or opportunities you've had, how would you describe the purpose of human resources in the roles that you've had? So, you know, I think human resources is really in an interesting position in the organization, really unlike any other, because you're really stewards, I view us as stewards of the culture. Um, I think that's extremely important. At a place like Heinen's, that's incredibly important. Uh, we have a very associate or employee first culture. And that's, you know, HR, part of our role is to steer that and be stewards of that. Uh, but I've certainly been a steward of the culture and other organizations where I've worked from an HR perspective. I think that means a few things, you know, HR is there to serve managers, right? And we do obviously things that, you know, right? We pay people through payroll, we do policies and all those things, but you're really giving guidance and consulting with managers all the time on issues they're having, driving employee performance, those sorts of things. But you're also serving in that role with associates um, or individual employees. And so I think that's unique for HR. You're really serving, it's a servant leadership in particular type of role across the organization. And if you're doing it right, you're really in a trusted advisor position with the senior executives. And that's, I use trusted advisor a lot with my team um, that's something we talk about all the time, because if, if, you, if you're not in that seat and serving in a very strategic, you know, engaged in the business kind of way, you can't be a good steward of the culture. You can't serve managers. You can't serve employees if you don't have the position in the organization to do that. Sure. Are there particular challenges that you've found in your career that sometimes being that steward of the culture is difficult or working with managers or associates? Or maybe, maybe the you know, intentional purpose of, of connecting those, that, that's how I, I deem it in, in the book, is connecting people to the purpose of the organization. That's HR's, you know, kind of the definition of it and how HR does that either really well or, or maybe not so well. So I'm just curious, kind of barriers and things that get in the way of, of you being able to do that. Yeah, I think not having us, I talk about having a seat at the table a lot. Um, and that's you know, one of the reasons why in particular here at Heinen's, but certainly other places I've been, where you're able to affect change is truly having that seat at the executive table and having the conversation. It doesn't have to be formally, right? You don't have to have someone who's 
a member of the executive committee, for example, but you do have to have someone that the executive committee wants to trust and listen to and, and hear what they have to say. Um, so that's a barrier. When you don't have that seat at the table, I think it's difficult. Um, you know, I've certainly encountered leaders who view HR more as, you know, uh, paper pushing, right? Just call them when something goes wrong. Um, and that's a challenge too. Um, and, and trying to sway a leader who has that view to, the, to, to view us more as strategic and as a trusted advisor, that's a challenge. So um, I think that is, is an instance where um, it can be hard for HR to, to move where they make moves they need to make. I also certainly have seen organizations where talent wasn't really their priority, right? They said it was, um, but it really wasn't. Um, and that's a challenge, right? If, if you're an HR leader or, and you're working in an organization where um, they're not truly focused on their people, it's hard to work that way. It's hard to make you know, good decisions and, and have a good environment, good culture, all of those things. Um, those are probably some of the, the bigger things. Is there any experience or examples or even things you may be working through at, in, in removing that barrier of a, maybe an executive leadership team that, that hasn't supported HR, doesn't see the value, or maybe necessarily they, they talk a good game about talent, but in, in actuality, they're, they're, they're really, they're, their words don't mac, match their actions. Is there any, any suggestion to those listening that you could say, Here, here's something you can do to attack um, the, the, that issue of, of changing the mindset of an executive about the impact of HR or acquiring better talent and them seeing the impact of it on the bottom line and in the business? I think the key is you have to be a business person, right? I mean, I, for example, I can't be an HR leader at Heinen's and not know something about our foundational business. And so I have found that learning and understanding the business is tremendously helpful because you're able to have different conversations with those, you know, operations leaders or business leaders than you would if you didn't understand the business. I also think it allows you to develop better solutions, which allows for better conversations and, you know, better delivery at the end of the day. So I think that's a big thing that I would recommend. I actually think that's something I wish I'd learned a little sooner in my career, that knowing and understanding the underlying business is important. You have to be a business person, not just an HR person. And, and do you mind just kind of diving in that a little bit more? Like, how did you end up doing that? Like at Heinen's, as an example, I know um, as, as a grocer, probably, probably many people listening were like, I worked at a grocery store, either you know, picking up the carts or bagging groceries sure. or working in produce. Like, how, how did you physically do that? Like, yeah. understand the business of Heinen's? Yeah. So that you could yeah. So I, I'd never worked in a grocery store. I had worked in restaurants for many, many years, just, you know, paying for school and all of that. Um, and when the Heinen's opportunity came my way, I initially thought, you know, I don't know anything about grocery stores. I mean, I shop at Heinen's, but that's really all I know. But as I kept coming for the interviews and meeting everyone, it was like, wow, you know, the, these people really are very focused on their employees. And that is, where I want to be, right? An organization that is 100% focused on their talent, I'll learn the rest. And so that was really the attitude I took. Now, I'm fortunate to work for leaders who, you know, on my first day of work said to me, hey, this is a marathon, not a sprint. You don't have to have all the problems solved in the first 60 days. Um, 
one of them also said to me, you know, you're going to work here for 25 more years, so you don't need to fix it all in the first month. So I was joining a company that obviously gave me some freedom and time to learn the business, but I did it really in very practical ways. I visited every store. I spent time in the stores. Um, I spent time at our food production plant and our warehouse, our distribution centers, our warehouses, um, watching what they were doing, I'm talking with managers, talking with associates to understand what their issues were. And I, I, I will tell you, I probably spent a good year really doing what I would call a needs assessment, just getting out there and spending time with people and understanding what their hot buttons were and what was happening that was good, what was happening that wasn't good. Um, and at the same time, doing some work with my own team, right? Recognizing um, the gaps, et cetera, here um, on the team. And so what was helpful from a team perspective was I have a, had a few people on the team who had risen up through the stores. So they had sort of this lifelong experience, right? And I was able to add a few more to the team internally who did know Heinen's. You know, for example, our training and development team is made up of people who were store managers at one point and then moved into training. So that was helpful for my own learning curve, right? I still learn things from them every day, um, but I spent a lot of time in the beginning out in the business, not sitting in my office looking at policies or you know, uh, reading laws or rules. It was being out there and talking with everybody. Um, and Heinz is a very face-to-face -face place, uh, which was important, but I will tell you, I mean, I've had experiences in my past where I wasn't able to be in the business in that way. And I didn't learn the business as I should have. And it truly impacted how we were able to deliver solutions. So just boots on the ground and having those conversations and you know, keeping track of it all, obviously, and then prioritizing. I also will tell you another thing I feel strongly about is working very collaborative, collaboratively with the operations leaders. So, you know, I'm a big fan of previewing policies to operations leaders and having discussions around what we're trying to accomplish. I conduct strategic planning with my team every year and we review that with some of the senior most ops leaders so they know what, are, what we're prioritizing and why. And if they say, hey, can, can we make a shift here, right? Can we reprioritize something else or do something different? Absolutely, let's talk about that. I, you know, We can't be HR in a vacuum. We need to be in alignment with where the business is going. So yeah, it no, continues that, on to this day. No, that's great. Yeah, kind of HR in a vacuum. I, I get that. And, and it's interesting. The reason why I'm doing this is to get insight and share. And, and the concept of the book is I'm providing my perspective, but at the same time, I'm telling the stories from real life people that are doing this every day and, and doing it in an amazing, awesome way. And you, you gave me an idea while you were sharing that. I don't know if you've ever watched or for the listeners out there, the Undercover Boss, that show that's on, I don't know what channel it's on. But you see these CEOs go out to their business. It's like the first time they ever were at one of these exactly. locations. And they're like shocked that some of these things are happening. And I was thinking to myself, what have you been doing? Exactly. Like, you know, like you, you own a restaurant, you own a restaurant chain with a thousand restaurants. You haven't been in a restaurant in like four years. It felt exactly. Like. And, they and I will just as an aside, you know, that's one of the things that really, I think is incredibly unique to Tom and Jeff Heinen is every week they're visiting stores. And I, I understand that and I get it and I make that a part of my schedule also, right? So it's not just also 
once at the beginning, but it's ongoing and continuous to make sure you're in touch with the business, but also so that people see you and know you and get to share their opinions with you. Yeah, no, it's paramount. It, it, one of the items that we, we wrote in the book is about HR not being the, 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 the department that just is there when you're going to get hired or fired. So that when you're Correct. in the room or in, the, in, in your case, in, in the grocery store, that all of a sudden, oh gosh, Cindy's here, look out, I'm looking. Um, right. As opposed to, oh, I want to talk to you because I have an issue. Or the last right. time we talked about it, you listened, you heard me out and we made a change and I saw the impact of that. So yep. And I talk about that all the time. We shouldn't just be visiting when something's going wrong or there's a problem. We need to just be there in general. I don't want people to say, why is she here? What's she doing? Why is her team here? What's going on? That's not, we want to be people happy to see us um, when we're there. Just even if it's just to say, hey. So. Yeah. Well, you, you, you kind of mentioned this before, and it's one of my favorite questions on, on the podcast. I asked it consistently because it, it provides a unique perspective for those that are maybe trying to make a change or learn from, from you and your experiences. So if, if you could go back in the time machine, kind of right when you're graduating from getting your JD and your, your law degree and give yourself some advice back then, knowing what you know now, what would that be? Yeah, so I think a couple of things. I think one, um, you know, you need to know who you are as a person and make sure that you understand your values and strive to do work that is in alignment with your values. Um, if you're working somewhere where you have to compromise your values, you should be thinking about that. Um, so that's one advice I would give, give to myself earlier on. Um, you know, I think that goes along with confidence, right? And not doubting yourself and trusting that you can make good decisions and have good judgment. Um, and, you know, the other thing I would say is that you need to decide early on who you want to be in the workplace, right? What are you, it kind of goes along with values, but how do you want to represent yourself? Who are you going to be when you walk in the door? You know, are things like integrity and humility important to you? Are, you know, um, accountability important to you? You know, those sorts of things. You need to decide that and then hold firm to them. Um, because if you, when you find yourself in a situation where you're not in alignment with who you want to be at work or your values, um, then that self-doubt and lack of confidence kicks in, right? And it, and it impacts what you're doing every day and how you're doing it. So, um, you know, not rocket science, but sometimes hard to do when you're starting out. You hit on the main point why I'm doing this is that I, I believe that Every, every person out there that has a job identifies in some way with that job, right? Whether what it is that they do at, at that job, how well they do it, the company that they work for. Yeah. And to me, HR has the greatest opportunity to increase the level of engagement and satisfaction of what's it, two thirds of people are disengaged at work statistically. Yeah. And HR, to me, that's an indictment on the HR profession. And, and it's a tremendous opportunity as we're looking forward, as opposed to, you know, it's, 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 it's on you that that's happening. So people identify so much with what their work is, and they spend so much time doing it, right? Yeah. Time away from their family or doing things they like to do, playing the cello, playing golf, going to sporting <laughs> events, whatever it might be. Right. And if you, if you look at it in that regard, um, people gain so much spirit in, in when they're in the right spot. And I feel like that's, a huge responsibility HR needs to take yeah, I and, agree. and, and steward that, as you said, it's, and, and to me, that's why HR, like a boss, this whole concept of like, let's get into owning what you do and impacting the people 
that you have responsibility over and not taking that lightly. Um, right. It's, it's a big responsibility. And Absolutely. when you do it right, oh my gosh, the impact you can have is tremendous. Agreed. Absolutely. So Cindy, I'll get you out of here on this. My, my, uh, the book is HR Like a Boss and it's the definition of it is actually different from everyone I speak with just because of the way that the term is described and what HR means to people and what a boss means. So I'm curious if you were to describe someone that does HR Like a Boss, what would that sound like? Well, uh, you know, I think that's someone who is a strategic leader in the organization, right? I don't think that means level of leadership, but it's just strategic, right? Again, going back to my comments about um, engaging in the business and being a business person on top of the HR person. I think inspirational leadership is important as well, right? You, you have to lead by example, right? You can't just um, tell people what to do. They have to want to do it for you. So I think inspirational leadership is a big thing. You've got to inspire your team and your peers, but you should be inspiring others around you as well. Um, I also think it's someone who has their pulse on the culture, has the pulse on the culture all the time, right? To be able to steward it, you have to know what the culture really is, not just what you say it is. I think a big piece of that work is diversity, equity, inclusion. That's been a big part of my work um, in my past as well. And certainly uh, gaining more traction these days as it should be, which is good. But I think, you know, that's a part of having your finger on the pulse of the culture is that work also and then, you know, this probably goes without saying, but you have to be an expert in HR. You have to know your business, right? You know the actual business of the company you're working for, but you also have to know your business as an HR leader. And you, you have to be an expert. You have to spend the time knowing the rules or, you know, learning things and, and understanding the best ways to go about it. So that probably goes for any job, but I think it's very important for HR people to, to know their trade. So those would probably be the big points I'd hit on. Yeah, certainly cover that actually in the book, that last point, it's paramountly important that even if you're doing all these other things, the business side of it, well, and you, you, you're, you don't have the confidence in HR, that's going to be a struggle. Probably, hopefully there'll be a different spot for you in the organization, but knowing right. the foundational <laughs> items, right? The compliance matters. And as yeah. you mentioned, payroll benefits kind of blocking and tackling aspects. So that's that's really cool. Well, you mentioned several things on today's show that I, I really appreciated. Once about the, the mentorship foundation you had from your, your teacher, cello teacher uh, in, in, in music. I thought that was really cool how that laid a foundation for, for confidence and your ability to achieve some of the things that you do. Uh, so kudos to whoever that was. Uh, and for those of you listening, uh, the importance of those mentors in your life uh, as well as you providing mentorship to those that, that could use your counsel and advice. Uh, you defined HR as kind of the steward of the culture. So your responsibility of that, I really, I really appreciated how you, how you mentioned that and, and providing guidance. So a, a guide and a counselor to your managers and to associates or employees, that trusted advisor, that servant leadership. Now we hear that quite a bit, but uh, you're, you're doing it, you're living it every day. So, so it's, it's really cool to see and the need for, for talent and, and as a main priority for an organization and, and providing HR with that seat at the table, whether it be a physical seat or one that uh, they're, they're having close contact with you. And then last but not least, which is a big part of what the foundation, why this book is being written is uh, I, I, I first define HR like a boss as a business person first that just so happens to practice HR. And you <laughs> seem to have, um, you know, embodied that. And, and I really liked your inspirational aspect of that, that uh, if you can inspire people from your seat in HR, then you're really doing something right. And so I, I appreciate 
all of your kind words. You've taken time out of your busy schedule to talk with me today, and I really enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for checking out the HR Like a Boss podcast. If it resonates with you, please consider leaving a rating and review. And better yet, subscribe and share with a friend. Until next time, let's continue to aspire to doing amazingly awesome HR.